So we are well into our We The Church series, and um, this morning I actually, I, I'm so delighted I get to preach in this series because it is, I do love Jesus, but I love the church. The church is an amazing thing, and we're going we're gonna to have some fun today. I'm going to tell some stories, and I think the first picture I've got there is of my beautiful bride. This is many years ago. She's still, actually, she's more beautiful now. Um, but uh, I'm going to tell a story just in terms of shaping what is the church. I think as we talk about the church, um, the teacher in me wants to define what is the church. And uh, I want to tell a story. With, so we were, for many of, you, many of you may not know that we spent 14 years in Cambodia. And this was, that photograph is, is uh, kind of at the beginning of that journey. But uh, I could tell many stories, but I'll tell one story about that. Um, my Saturdays were often spent exploring on a dirt bike because roads there weren't really a, a major feature. Um, and, um, but I'd drive, enjoy, pray, and try and see the nation, get a heartbeat for the nation, both rural and we, we lived in the, in the city. And um, as man, many developing countries, the way it works is dust road, village, dust road, village, dust road, village. And that would be it. You just, and I'd just drive that and pick a direction you know, maps weren't really things either. So you just go. And um, as was my practice, I'd pull in at a village, you know, two hours in, about, you know, I don't know, two hours outside of the city of Phnom Penh, and find a coconut stand. If you have never had a fresh coconut, oh my gosh, yeah, that's all I say. Is that, on a hot day, it is the business. All right, so I'd often do that, and this particular day was no different. I'd stopped at a coconut stand under umbrellas, having my fresh green coconuts. And um, there was a guy sitting there, that obviously he was, you know when someone's looking, right? Like I could feel this guy wanted to engage. So we eventually started up a conversation in my, my broken language at that stage, and it got to the point of me telling him, no, what I did is I'm, I'm a pastor in the city, and he was like, oh, that's amazing, that's amazing. Eventually he said, well... Cut a long story short, he said, you should, you should start a church here. I mean, we don't have a church in this village. And I was like, delighted. I was like, oh, great. Like, well, who's, and he said, no, I'll, I'll, I'll run the church. So I said, are you a believer? And he said, no. It's okay, you just pay. I'll lead it. <laughs> True story. But uh, I tell this story because I'm going to, back to the central question, what is the church? And obviously in some developing countries, there's that understanding that the church is just a source of income. Um, and uh, that certainly was his understanding. But I want us to just, I'm going to take a moment. I want you to think, what does the church, in your mind, what does the church look like? We all have ideas of what it looks like. The second part of that understanding question is, what does it sound like? What does the church sound like? What are the sounds that should come from our church? I'm not going to answer those questions for you. We get to make our own definition for these, in these, at this heart level. What is the church? And what is the church for you? And my essential, my thesis for today is I want us to find new ways or fresh ways to love the church. Because she will be loved. She will be loved. And um, so I've got three reasons 
why. Obviously, you can see I love the church, and these are the three that I came up with, and there are many, and I'm sure you have your own. But these are three reasons I want to encourage us why we love the church. And the first is the concept of unity, the beautiful unity of community. It is truly a beautiful thing. And um, Mother Teresa said this. She said, it's the beauty, talking about community, it's the beautiful antidote to loneliness. The reality is we live in a world that's incredibly lonely. And people are drawn to community and they're also drawn to the church because it offers community. So we're going to read probably the most famous scripture on unity is Psalm 133. And I'm just going to go through it quickly. It says, how good and how pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. It is like precious oil poured on the head, running down on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down on the collar of his robe. It is if, as if the dew of Hermon were falling on Mount Zion. For there the Lord bestows his blessing, even life evermore. Mike and Impella, can you come here quickly? I just want to demonstrate something for you. So let's, I'm going to say, this is life, and this is blessing. Oh, Life, bro, life. But it says, wherever the brothers dwell together, the Lord, in some translations, says, he commands. He commands his blessing to go there commands his life to go there. So life and blessing, now it's not optional. It's under the command of heaven to go there where there's unity. We want blessing, we want life. Unity is a great way to guarantee that. It's these two things I just thought to personify. Life and blessing are commanded. Now that also, that oil flowing down, that the Holy Spirit is certainly so essential, and we're going to look at it in a minute, in terms of unity. But also, over the beard, it speaks of maturity. Over the robe, it speaks of the anointing and the office of the pastor, the office of the priest. It's such a great scripture that ties together what does a community actually look like, a community of believers. And just I want to read also Acts 2, a perfect example of what this was like. I'll read from verse 42. They demoted, sorry, they're not demoted, they devoted, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Say all things. All things in common, that's amazing. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing them, sorry, distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. So beautiful. I mean, we don't have that expression at the moment. We don't. And if you've been listening to this series, we've covered this, this unity, the, the, the community that lives for each other. And it is a beautiful thing when the brothers dwell together in, human, in, in unity. But I will say this. We have many testimonies of it. We're very, I mean, last week, the, the men's camp is such a good example of brothers. It was, it was, and our worship was so unified. And 
just, just amazing. Just a great expression of brothers dwelling together. And everybody came, myself included, came away challenged. My marriage was, has been changed. It's, it's a transformation that's happened because we were together. We gathered together. The recovery group is another picture of that community that shapes lives. Our life groups. There are so many examples of this. And I want to encourage you, community is a beautiful reason to love the church. But it also goes wrong if we make unity the goal. In Acts 5, just three chapters later, but a man named Ananias and his wife Sapphira sold a piece of property. Now remember, everyone was selling everything and sharing everything, right? And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds brought only, and brought only part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself some part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard it. Oh, no surprise, really. I would also be afraid. But how long does it take from the perfect utopian example to lies and deceit? Three chapters. So unity, it's an amazing thing, but we, it, it goes wrong. Here's an example of it going wrong. If you've been in church for any time, you've probably been hurt. And it's often the community aspects. He didn't phone me. He didn't respond to my messages. Right? It's interesting in Revelation 2, there's letters to the seven churches. When the letter goes to Ephesians, now Ephesians, if you've spent any time in the Word, Ephesians is the model church. It's the church that he writes to all these amazing things. And we'll read from Ephesians today. But he's, the writer in the Revelation says, You've done all these things. You've remained faithful, but I have one thing against you. You have lost your first love. I really believe, I did a bit of a study on this. What is that first love? It was the love for the brothers. It was the communal love. Because in that scripture as well, you can you could say, well, maybe they didn't, they stopped working. No, because in Revelation, it acknowledges the, their faithfulness to the task of the church, their faithfulness to Christ. But one thing, you've lost your first love. We have to love the community and love the gathering. This, getting together, the moments that I've mentioned, life groups, etc. But unity can also, as, as they're lost in Ephesians, it, some can, it can be hijacked. We have many examples in history. The Tower of Babel is probably a great biblical example where men were unified to the point where it became a threat to the kingdom of God. If you don't know the story of the Tower of Babel, God gave languages to divide the people, to come against the unity that they had in building what was their, their ambition. 
controversial example of this as well is if you know any history, I read an article this week that alluded to this. In the Second World War, the German, let me get it right, it's anonymous. It was the German Christian movement that were actually starting to unite state and church. They eventually got to the, such a point of unity that their declaration, their confession, included an allegiance to the Fuhrer, to Hitler. So they were unified, but heretical. They'd, they'd come so far from the truth of the gospel, they were unified, but the, you understand the destruction that came out of that. So unity, as if in some places, it actually becomes an idol, and it can be very destructive. I would suggest, though, there is a unity that we should get, we should go after, and it's in Ephesians. Ephesians 4, probably one of those great chapters on the church, and it talks about the unity of the body. I'll read from verse 1 to verse 3. It says this, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. My mom is a music teacher. She's been a music teacher most of my life. I remember, uh, it would probably happen about once a year, the piano tuner would arrive. It's a guy. And he comes with a tuning fork that he hits on the side of the piano or whatever, and it's literally a little, little two-pronged fork, and it goes, not, not like my perfect pitch, but it's a perfect pitch. And then he will tune the entirety of the piano from that one note. That single note tunes the whole piano. If you're in an orchestra, that happens, and then the orchestra tunes to the piano. Right? Orchestra arrives, bing, give us a C, bing, and then everyone tunes. Right? Who are we tuning to? If I try and tune to Mark, if I try and tune to Impele, if I try and tune to Mark, we can have unity because I'm trying to tune to him. But when we tune to the Spirit of God, we are in unity. So we have to come into tune. When we, if our goal is unity, it says here, there's two unities that are referred to in Ephesians 4. There's the unity of the Spirit, which is when we're in the Spirit, we will be one and we will be united because we're following one Spirit. He determines the gifts that we give, one Spirit. He determines for the building up of the body. If we are united to the Spirit, if we are in line with the Spirit, we will be in line with each other. Unity is a beautiful thing. The second reason to love the church is the growth story. I thought about this for a while, different words we could use to illustrate. I think incubator is a great word. For some of us, excuse my English major, we were untimely ripped into the world. And some of us have been untimely brought into the church. 
we have arrived at this place and we are, when we come to the church for the first time, we are weak, we are vulnerable, we are unwise. We don't know. We don't know the one. But we come into a community and the beauty thing, the beautiful thing I'm trying to, the second reason is this growth that happens because we're in community. There's a growth that can happen and it's really well illustrated in Psalm 92 where it says the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still bear fruit in old age and stay fresh and green. Isn't that just, we need to be fresh. There are many stories we could share of people in this community that have grown incredibly. I don't want to single anyone out, so I'll single out a friend of mine that you don't know. Um, so this is a picture of what our church was that used to meet in our house. Um, the handsome guy there, is, that was me, believe it or not, many years ago. For those of you that don't know Gemma, that's Gemma. She's now a 16-year-old, almost as tall as me. But there's a guy on the top left I want to highlight. His name is Song Lee. You have a room full of stories there, but I'm going to highlight him because he became one of my best friends. When he came to Phnom Penh, so the story of a lot of people in Cambodia is they don't live in the city because they were born there. They come to the city in search of work, in search of education, in search of a better life. When he came to the city, his goal, as he told it to me, was to become a tuk-tuk driver. That was the, the highest ambition he could reach for, and he was firmly going after that. The, just to give you context, um, for some of you may or may not know, civil war was part of the story in Cambodia for many years. Even after the Khmer Rouge, uh, the country was ravished by bandits. So Song Li, at night, he lived, he lived in one of those villages, but at night they didn't have the securities to sleep in their homes because bandits would come through the village and just ravage. So they would go and sleep in the fields. He would sleep. He found a culvert, a culvert under a road. He'd sleep in that gutter, take his, his, his valuables and sleep there so that in the morning when he woke, he wouldn't have been robbed. This is the, the life that he lived. If we go to the next picture, you'll see where he is now. That's a picture on the right. What it doesn't show is he's now the office manager of a very successful IT company. He graduated from university. His life is transformed because he was part of the community. Now, this wasn't me. There were people in our community that came alongside him, sponsored him for university, took him on as, a, as an appy at the company, and he, the faithfulness that he presented through his embedment and through his walking with Jesus put him into a place where he actually found favor with man and God. The church is an amazing place of growth. He is a, an awesome picture of that. He's now also one of the elders in the church that we left. So he's not only leading in community, leading in workplace, leading a family. He's leading in the advancement of the kingdom of God because he grew in the community. So the growth story is an amazing thing. It's an amazing reason to love the church. But I will say this. Just as we can get unity wrong, 
you can get growth wrong. Sometimes we have people that build towards themselves in leadership. Many of us would have come across the abuse of authority in the story of what people want me to aspire to, what people want me to grow in. I had the, the privilege of growing up in the church um, to the point where I was born into the church my whole life. As a baby, I sat next to the, the organ while my mom played. But I also had the unfortunate experience of my whole primary school, we moved 13 times. Because my dad's role was the replacement guy. So when something went wrong in a church, the pastor died, the pastor needed a break, the pastor tanked his ministry, we would show up, bags in tow, and settle in for what was most of the time six months. I'll spare you the details, but the amount of time we were shunned or chased out of town, I'm not ex exaggerating at times, because of the growth story my dad brought in ambition, because he had ambition for the people of God, and we should, that wasn't accepted by the community. In other words, the message was not welcome. We're a happy community. Please leave. That was our story. So as a young man, I, this is my exposure to the churches. They don't want our message. They don't want growth. They just want us to come and massage the reality that they're living in. One particular example, and I wasn't there for it, but just to, I want you to understand the, the potential for hurt that I grew up with because being a pastor's kid. My dad, his essential message was Matthew 28, make disciples and the nations. These two things. So I'm pretty sure I wasn't in the room when this happened, the story I'm going to tell you. But I'm pretty sure that's what he was preaching because that's, that's what it was. Just repackaged and reshaped. And um, on this particular day, my dad was preaching, trying to bring growth to this community. And uh, one of the people in the front row turned to my brother and said, I'm so tired of your dad going on about this. I want to throw this apple core at him. He'd been sitting there munching an apple while my dad was preaching. And then to add insult to injury, he said, I'm going to throw this at your dad. It's probably a good thing I wasn't there. Because it would have gone down differently. <laughs> but I, I tell you that because the growth that sometimes our spiritual leaders see in us isn't accepted. Sometimes we get it wrong. So I'm heading towards my real thesis and the reason why I have come back to the church. And I love the church. It's because Jesus loves the church. That doesn't change. It doesn't go wrong. And just to, to shape some of my thinking around what that means, um, not to put light on me at all, but my dad was very helpful in teaching me how to pursue a personal relationship with Jesus. One of the things he taught me to do and instituted in my life and bugged me about it, have you been spending time with Jesus? But it was very well shaped by him. He showed me how to develop a conversational relationship with Jesus. And a lot of that is through the practice of journaling. So this week, uh, I was, I've, so I've done this for years, not to sound special, but I've done this for years. And this, this, this week there's been, some interesting things happening in my life. And I just sat down and I said to God, as you do in relationships, if you're in a relationship, this is a healthy question to ask your 
your significant other. It's like, are you having fun? Are you enjoying this? Because it will reshape your experience. So I did that with, and I sat down with my journal, my Bible, with my lamps. And I said, God, we've been doing this for a while. Are you enjoying it? And he said to me, he said two things to me. He said, firstly, I love it. And second thing he said, it's a lot about you. I look at my journal, a lot of me asking for things, a lot of me praying about me and my story, a lot about me. And these two reasons I've given you to love the church are brilliant reasons, the unity and the growth, but it's a lot about us. To be honest, it's a lot about what can I get out of the church. Hear my heart. He loves the church. Through all the, my story, and I've, I've spared you some of the details, I've always come back to that and I've banged my head on that particular thing every time I want to leave the church. He loves the church and I love him. You know, when my wife and I were first married, <laughs> I'm a surfer. And I, I, my picture was what she loves, I love, what I love, she must love. We must everything together right and I tried to get on that particular story it wasn't happening I figured out I think it was like day two we're at Museberg it's about two foot and she's ah, panicking I realized this isn't going to work but at the core we had another thing that we had to align my life and story didn't match her mother's dream of the husband right her mom's an Austrian dermatologist. That's a double whammy right there. I wasn't a German and I wasn't a doctor. Very not German, very not doctor. So I had a struggle with my mother-in-law, but this was one I could not, it wasn't the same as the surfing story. I had to align my heart to her heart because my life meant my heart was aligned to my wife. So we had to walk a journey of years of learning to love and accept each other, and we've done that. And I use that as an example because your story in learning to love the church might be the same. There may be hurt, there may be pain, but let's read this. Ephesians 5. Now this is about husbands and wives, but it's an example that's used that I can't get away from. It says, husbands, Ephesians 5 verse 25. Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. And to present her to himself as radiant church, as a radiant church, without strain, wrinkle, or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. She will be loved. She is being made beautiful. Now I have a challenge. I've had to settle this in my heart. Where it says he washes her with the word. What have your words been about the church? My words, the words that have crossed my mouth about his beautiful. Who am I? To say something contrary about his beautiful. 
Who am I? Somebody says something about my wife. They've got this to come. Jesus is fierce for his bride. If I speak against his bride, I must remember, she will be loved. I just choose which side of him I'm going to stand on when I choose to love her. If I'm choosing to bemoan the church, (laughs) he's fierce. His eyes are like fire for his bride. Let me finish with this. Sorry if it's strong, but I really believe we need to reshape our thinking around the church. Hebrews 10, 12 to 14 says this. But when he, Christ, had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, listen to this. By this single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. The church. He's put in place. Let me narrate that for you. He has put the the mechanism in place for us to be perfect as a church, as a bride. The bride will be perfect. She will be loved. So I spoke about unity and it's beautiful. It is a wonderful thing to be involved with, but it gets, we get it wrong. I spoke about growth. It also goes wrong. This does not change. Once and for all, he made the sacrifice for his bride. So when I'm doubting my involvement in church, when I'm having a bad church week, I remember this. He has perfected once and for all those that are being sanctified. There's two processes there. We are, there is the beautification of the church, and yes, we are getting to a beautiful bride. But the plan is perfect. Amen? Can you stand with me, please? Just as I pray, I trust your heart has been challenged. She will be loved. She will be loved. My challenge is that we are those that love her. This church, the church down the road, the church that he died for. But God, I thank you for the beautiful truth of your love for the church. Help us to bind to that. Help us, help that to be an anchor for us that we will always be pushing towards your church. Always be going towards the, the one that you love, your beautiful bride. Help us for God.